0: We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you.
1: The reading is taken from Mark chapter 15, starting at verse 40. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene... Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that this was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid.
2: Well, good morning. It's lovely to have you with us. Let me add my welcome to that of Anthony and welcome to everyone uh, in the room as well. It's fantastic to be able to meet together and have a little hint of what is still yet to come. So far as we know, there has only been one day in the last 2,000 years when literally not one person in the world believed that Jesus was alive. On Saturday morning, after Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus was dead. And it can seem strange that the two days on either side of Saturday are so heavily discussed. Some of the brightest minds in the world have devoted themselves primarily to just those two days. They have been, across the centuries, maybe the most studied days of all history. The Bible is full of what happened the day before, the day Jesus was killed. And the next day, Sunday... Is the day believers say gave birth to the most death defying, grave defeating, fear destroying, hope inspiring, transcendent joy in the history of the world. But we're not at Sunday, and we're not at Friday either. This is Saturday. The day after this, but the day before that. And it's a strange day, this in between day, in between despair and joy, in between confusion and clarity, in between bad news and good news, in between darkness and light. Even in the Bible, outside of one detail about God's being posted to watch the tomb, we're told practically nothing about Saturday. Saturday is the day with no name, the day, as it were, when nothing happened. Well, it's a pretty extended quote, but that is how John Ordberg begins his chapter on this moment of the crucifixion. I thought I'd share it with you because it so wonderfully captures that moment. And it's the moment that we come to in Mark's gospel today. As Ordberg suggests, Saturday is not a destination that we very often stop by in our thoughts on the cross. We're mainly Friday and Sunday people, cross and resurrection people, and on one level, rightly so, because the gospel writers don't particularly invite us to dwell on what comes in between. But Mark does give us these few moments, technically, I suppose, still Friday, but nevertheless, in between those two places, death and resurrection. And they matter. They matter then not least historically, because they make clear the facts of the resurrection that follows, but they also matter experientially because of the way they capture something of our Christian reality even today. As we live between Jesus' crucifixion and our resurrection, and I'm praying that today as we put ourselves into the shoes of the the women attending the burial of Jesus, we be assured of Jesus' death and that we would find strength to live out all of our moments in between, as it were. But I'm jumping ahead. Let's get to the text. So Jesus has been put on trial. Uh, He's been condemned by Pilate. He's been taken out to be crucified. He was mocked by those standing nearby. And then in his final moments, a darkness has covered the land. He's cried out to God, The temple of the curtains has been torn in two, triumphant declaration of open access to God. And in the upside-down world of Jesus' kingdom, we actually reach one of the high points in the gospel just before this. As Jesus died, the centurion who sees him recognizes, surely, this was the Son of God. Amazing declaration of faith by someone that you'd never believe. Well, not even a religious person, certainly not a Jew, a Roman centurion. But then the camera zooms out. Out from the centurion, we're reminded not everyone has been on the same journey as he has. They are in between. And the first purpose it seems to me for Mark, walking us through these moments in between, is to underline the historical reality of the moment. So one of the objections to the resurrection that periodically reappears is what the scholars call the swoon theory. The idea that Jesus never actually died, he only looked like he died. And that matters, of course, because the truth of the resurrection depends on the fact that before Jesus rose, he really did first die. And in these verses, Mark, first of all, points to that fact. Chapter 15, verse 40, some people, he says, some people were watching from a distance. So, there were eyewitnesses to the death of Jesus on the cross. And in fact, lots of eyewitnesses. Mark goes on. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who'd come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. And so we learn, not just lots of random witnesses, at least a few of these witnesses were named women. That is, witnesses whom we can identify as having spent enough time With Jesus, not to mistake him for someone else hanging on the cross. Witnesses who actually, in the world into which Mark's gospel was written, you could perhaps still go and find them because you knew their names and talk to them and check the facts with them. Or at least, if they were no longer around personally, you you might hear it from their family. I think it's fascinating to read the gospels looking at who gets a name. Perhaps Mark tells us it was Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and Joseph, so, that at least if Mary wasn't around, you could go and speak to James the Younger and Joseph and get the story from them. And of course, those women matter particularly at this point because by this point, the most commonly mentioned witnesses of Jesus' life are nowhere to be seen. The men, the twelve, have deserted Jesus. First Judas, then the rest of the disciples, then finally Peter despite his better intentions, they have all faded from view. I read this week that while men tend to run faster in shorter distance running, apparently once a race exceeds 195 miles, the women outrun the men. How grateful we should be for these women here, women today, who have the stickability to keep going with Jesus when so many others have given up. Now we're going to return to these moment again, these women again in a moment. But Mark, first of all, wants us to see a few more witnesses of Jesus's death in this in-between moment. Mark chapter fifteen, verse forty-two. It was preparation day; that is, the day before the Sabbath. So, as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus's body. Now clearly, this would not have happened if Joseph did not already know that Jesus was dead. Then Mark tells us, verse 44, that Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. So Mark's anticipating the objection that Jesus was taken down from the cross quite early, and therefore perhaps before he died. So Mark underlines, no, Pilate himself was clear on the facts. Now, why was that? Well, because they were, in the end, actually in a three-way conversation. Pilate the governor, Joseph of Arimathea, and then the centurion, whose actual job it was to ensure that the criminal died, they were all clear on this together. Mark continues. Summoning the centurion, Pilate asked him if Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. And so Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. And then finally, to land the point, Mark returns to the women. Then he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Now we'll say more about this next week, but Mark is laying the critical groundwork here. The same witnesses who knew Jesus really intimately, who saw Jesus die on the cross, who will see the empty tomb, they were also the people who saw Jesus' body being laid in it. And so the message from these moments in between was categorically definitely Jesus died. But the trouble is with everything I've said so far is that's only really positive it's only really of value to you if you know what happens next. It's only really useful if you know that on the third day Jesus rises again. Only on that basis is it a faith strengthener to hear that on the second day his heart was no longer beating. But of course, on that particular day, on that Saturday, the women and Joseph didn't know that. The people around Jesus are very much still in between, in between Jesus' death and resurrection. What must it have been like to be those women? Here were people who had seen so much, Mark tells us, they had followed him, they'd witnessed a great deal, they'd witnessed Jesus' perfect character and come to love it. They'd seen his otherworldly authority, they'd seen his miracles, what miracles. They'd seen the amazing teaching and, and all of that had meant that they were committed to him committed enough, in fact, to leave behind their friends and families and livelihoods and travel all the way from Galilee with Jesus to Jerusalem. What hope they must have invested in Jesus. And yet now, surely, for them, that hope had vanished. In fact, today being Palm Sunday brings the reality to life even further. Not so very long ago, the crowds had strewn the streets with palm branches, they shouted in triumph at King Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And all of that has unraveled at terrifying speed. Today, Jesus is back outside the city walls. The crown on his head is a crown of thorns, a crown of mockery, and he's breathing his last. At this point, there is no Easter Sunday. They were very much unknowingly in between. Now why do I emphasize this point? Because it's not just Joseph and the women who were in between. In a sense, we are all in between. I want to be careful here, I have every intention next Sunday of celebrating with you the awesome concrete hope of the resurrection. It's going to be fantastic that we need that in a year like this one. And as we celebrate Easter, we will be looking back at the resurrection as a linchpin of our faith. We are this side of it. A historical, real life happening that changes everything now. Something we can go back to when doubts do arise. Thank the Lord, we, we have the immense privilege of living after, not before Jesus' resurrection. But but we do still live before our own resurrection. I was reading with my kids a, a few days back, those verses at 1 Corinthians 1523. I mean, they talk about Jesus Christ rising from the dead as the first fruits. So Jesus' body bursts out of, the, out of the grave. It's an indication of what is still to come. But our bodies and our minds haven't got there yet. For now, we can only believe. And in that sense, we too are in between. Let's be honest. There are things in our lives that feel quite a lot like Easter Saturday. Perhaps you know what that means acutely this morning. Perhaps you found yourself saying something like what what these women must have said. Lord Jesus, you appeared into my life. I remember it now. You were the greatest thing that happened to me. You turned my life around. And, And I was just so committed to you. I wanted to go wherever you called me. In fact, apart from following you, I would not be doing what I'm doing right now. I would not be going where I'm going right now. I did it all for you. But now, you're dead. To me, to all intents and purposes, perhaps you've said this to yourself. You, Lord Jesus, are dead. You're not not there. I went with you, but now I can't see you. Circumstances have gone so badly south, I cannot possibly imagine you are in them right now. So John of the Cross is famously credited with this phrase, the dark night of the soul, and Christians have often used it to refer to a period of life when it's often a time of particular suffering and struggle when it seems like God is totally absent. Perhaps that's where you are right now. The ease of prayer has completely disappeared. The gifts of the Spirit seem to have evaporated. Reading scripture seems to have no purchase. That clarity of purpose, that sense of I know where I'm going in God's will, has disappeared. There's no part of us that can really understand where the story goes from here. We may feel hopeless. We may feel quite alone. Now, such times are desperately hard to go through. But I think there is great hope to be found if we think ourselves back to that first Easter Saturday and think ourselves hard back into that moment. I say think hard because sometimes when we put uh, ourselves in the shoes of the women or of Joseph, Certainly, I speak for myself here, there's still part of me that's, that imagines that they, are, they know themselves to be actors in a drama which they know the end of. And so the, the women go and bring their spices because they know someone's gonna write a hymn in the 2,000 years about this, and obviously they need to supply the facts for the, for the hymn. Joseph, gives his tomb because it's, it's going to be great when people tell that great story about the empty tomb and the stone rolling away. And obviously someone's got to supply the tomb and he, he has the great honor of doing so. But of course, neither of them were thinking like that at all. They were thinking, this is the end. This is failure. I've got no idea what I'm going to do. I'll give my tomb... I'll come and uh, embalm the body. Now, where is the hope in that? Well, I think there's help for a start simply in registering that the followers of Jesus over the centuries have not been unfamiliar with Saturday living. If you find yourself on Easter Saturday right now, you're in good company. For 2,000 years, people have been living there in various different ways, and it has not yet been the end of the Christian faith. But further than that, there is hope. In this very simple fact, and forgive me that it's so simple, there is hope in being reminded that it's possible to be living in Saturday on the way to Sunday but just not realize that Sunday is gonna happen. I mean, the sun's going to come up, but Jesus is not going to come out of the tomb as far as you're concerned. It's possible to be in that situation. It's possible in the smaller things. It's possible that right now, God is busy turning some tragedy to victory. He may be turning around some intractably negative situation for good, and you just can't see it. But the fact that you can't see it doesn't mean it couldn't happen. That's possible. I say it's possible because it's not promised. It's not promised. But secondly, and much more importantly, whatever may happen in between now and then, God will do that in eternity. There is a concrete promise that one day, all our Saturdays, as it were, will be forever turned to Sunday. All the moments of not knowing how to go on will be turned into a glorious moment of eternal hope. We who trust in Christ, we will inhabit a new heavens and a new earth with new bodies and new minds. God will be eternally present to us. Searching and wandering will be over. Our tears will be definitively wiped away. Our pain will cease. This is absolutely amazing, great hope. And that hope is not fully now. We recognize that. But it will be fully then. In that sense, we too are in between. Well, if you've been affected by some of the things that we've been speaking about today, I'd love for you to get in touch with me or get in touch with the, the care team if you want some support through those things. care at emmanuelcroydon.org.uk But for now, let's close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these moments. Thank you that you've given us these accounts to draw us into the reality of what it means to follow your son, Jesus. We give to you, in particular this morning, all our saturday moments those moments that we feel things have turned bad and we cannot see how we might come out lord we confess even through our doubting and our uncertainty our trust in you that you are the god of sunday you are the god of resurrection And that even if our eyes cannot see it, yet your promise is true, and you will do it. Lord, strengthen us, encourage us, and give us the hope that you have made available, made public in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.